0: 518 talks about how we can be filled with the holy spirit which sounds pretty good and other places in the bible talk about walking in the spirit how do you do that how can you be filled with the holy spirit controlled by the holy spirit walk in the holy spirit the text we're studying today gives us specifics about that as it relates to family relationships but let me let me give you a little example before we go to the text so i'm up north way up north in the UP and I'm by on the margin of a lake and I have with me um, about a dozen uh, college-age young men and they are hyper these guys are just unusually active guys and uh, so when we would sit down in a circle and I would uh, start my training or my teaching it I could tell it was just really tough for them to pay attention and uh, so I had an idea I uh, I said to the guys, follow me, and I and I got up and I left, and they kind of talked among themselves, and finally they followed me, and I I went down to the lake. There were there were a half a dozen or a dozen red kayaks uh, on the lake. I got in one of the kayaks and I just paddled off, and and they were hollering from the shore, where are you going? What are you doing? And I just said, Fo- follow me. So they eventually kind of grumbled around and got in their kayaks and they paddled out on the lake. Some of them were, you know, they were all stronger and faster than I was and more athletic. And so they would paddle up next to me like, and they would say, so where are we going? And I would say, follow me. And they were frustrated. Some of them would anticipate where I was going and they would paddle up around the corner. And so I would go in a different direction, of course. and, And then they would have to hurry and scamper and follow me and then... And then a, there were a little chain of lakes with some land bridges and I would paddle up to the land bridge and get out and go over and the whole time some of them were quiet and others of them were just where are we going what are we doing where are you taking us how long will we be gone what are we going to have for lunch I mean just you know and I would always answer follow me just follow me when I got back, you know, a few hours later, we got back, and, you know, I hadn't said a word, but follow me. And we all got back, and we got in our circle and again. I said, Did you learn anything? And they laughed. I said, Guys, if you want to walk with the Lord, you've got to learn to follow Him. Just do what He says. He's not always going to tell you where you're going. He's not always going to tell you what he's doing. He's not always going to give you all the... He wants you to trust his heart so much that wherever he says to go, you just go. Now, now today, um, in in Ephesians, as we're studying through the book of Ephesians and, and worshiping our way through the book of Ephesians, the text we're talking about is Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. But Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 are in the context of really answering the question how could I have the fullness of the Holy Spirit? How could I walk continuously in in, under the control of the Holy Spirit? And the Bible in Ephesians chapter five and in chapter six gives us how to do that, exactly how to do that. And it really isn't some mystical thing that kind of sweeps over you, like a lot of times we read and we think, I just want to get the, you know, kind of like spiritual goosebumps and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well. Certainly, there are feelings involved in walking with the Lord and affections that we don't want to depreciate. But being filled with the Holy Spirit, being controlled by the Holy Spirit is possible for all of us who know the Lord, and we're believers and have the Holy Spirit living in us, if we just simply follow the simple things that the Holy Spirit revealed to Paul in this Ephesian letter. And we'll start with verse 18 of chapter 5 to read through, and you're going to see the means of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So the first means of being filled with the Holy Spirit is singing and making melody in your heart and singing together. So that'd be the first. And then it says in verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, and the fa- to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have the second thing. And what is it? It's, it's giving thanks. These are simple things. Singing, making melody in your heart, and giving thanks to the Lord. You want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? Sing in your heart. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want to walk in the Spirit? Do you want the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? Then be a very thankful person. Choose to thank Him no matter what is happening. Be a thankful person. Being thankful is a means of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together and in your heart to the Lord is a means of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now you have another one in verse 21, and this one gets a little harder. It's the follow me part. What does it say there, verse 21? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Every instruction that Paul is giving, he keeps referring to What's behind that is our relationship with the crucified, buried, risen, and coming again Jesus. He's not just saying submit to one another. He's saying submit to one another because you have reverence for Christ. And you remember last week we were talking about God's order in the family and the directions, following the directions for a marriage? And again, you have that whole thing there too. Each one taking their place in obedience to the Lord, in submission to the Lord. And now we get to chapter 6 and verse 1, and we're talking about children, and, and particularly fathers, and I think in the father's authority would include the parenting, the mother, but really, in these four simple, clear verses, you have some practical instructions, some directions about family relationships, and really, in an extension, also, if we handle our family relationships according to the directions, it's a means of walking in the Spirit. It's a means of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a means of being God-like people with the, with the qualities and characteristics of Christ coming out of us. If we do these things, it would be simple to read over these and just say they're just way too simple. But, but the, there is a blessed economy of words in the Bible. And we're, we have this most profound passage that we studied last week about Christian marriage. And now, this most profound passage here, which every parent has memorized Children, obey your parents. Every parent has memorized that. Am I right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Kids, am I right? Have your parents ever quoted you that Bible verse? Yes, they have. Let's be honest. Children, obey your parents. Here it is again in the Lord in the Lord. That's important. We'll talk about that. For this is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Okay, there you have the instructions to to children, to sons and to daughters in verse 4. You, the instruction to parents, in particular the father, and as the mom and dad are operating kind of as an agreeing unit, it, it extends to mom too, of course. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction, and there it is again, of the Lord, of the Lord. We conduct our family relationships with a sense of the presence of God. Coram Deo, in the presence of God. We conduct our obedience to God, right? our submission to God, our follow me where I'm leading. We follow him, we follow those that he has put into our lives as our delegated authorities as if we're following the Lord, in the Lord. And we conduct ourselves towards our children in such a careful, circumspect, tender way because we're doing it as, uh, as in the Lord, and as the scriptures say, of the Lord. So this is a instructions to children. Let's go back and look at the instructions to children. They're, they're very simple. I know what you're thinking today. You're thinking, these are four verses. He cannot milk 45 minutes of preaching out of these four verses. But I'm a professional, so. <laughs> now, they're so, they're, so, they're so beautiful. What does it say for children to do? Obey, obey your parents and the Lord. And this is, of course, taken out of the Ten Commandments. I can tell you a personal testimony here a little bit. My parents taught me to obey them. They generally made it uh, possible, easy to obey them. They were consistent Christians. They didn't abuse me. Uh, They were consistent in their lives. So I had the blessing, a tremendous blessing, of being raised by parents like that. And I will tell you that I obeyed them. The times of disobedience from my parents I, I, oh, like, I can number, like, on the fingers so of one hand, like, in terms of, uh, like, intentional. Matter of fact, I'm only remembering one particular time right now. There are many sinful episodes in my childhood. Don't misunderstand me. As I got older, I remember specifically my parents, if they, if they wanted me to go somewhere, I went. If they wanted me not to go somewhere, I didn't go. If they wanted me to be friends with a person, I was friends. If they didn't want me to be friends with a person, I wasn't friends with that person. And if they, if they wanted me to listen to a certain kind of music, I tried to obey them. I guess now that I think of it, I, I disobeyed some in that privately. But then I would always feel convicted. As a matter of fact, sometimes I would buy albums. Not telling you my favorite groups, but because only the old people would ever recognize them. <laughs> but, and I would buy these albums. I knew they weren't pleasing to my parents. And then after a few weeks, I would go throw them away. Wasted a lot of money doing that. So I guess there were those kinds of things. But but I, what I'm just trying to tell you is that this is the testimony of my life. I have obeyed my mom and dad. I've tried to live in a way that's pleasing and obeyed them. And I have tasted the fruit of that in my life. God has been kind to me. He's given me a quality of life that I wouldn't have had. I was having lunch with a, with a close friend, and he said, you've never... Had a, a drink of alcohol in your life? And I said, like, well, one time, but it was by accident. You've never smoked in your life. Like, no, or never taken drugs? No. It, why? Well, it's not because I'm a great guy. First of all, because you have to have friends to offer you stuff, and I didn't have any friends growing up, so that's one. But the other thing was, <laughs> but the other thing was, my parents would have killed me. There were just some things they said, don't do. So people would say, say no to drugs. I'm like, yeah, say no to drugs. So your mom's going to kill you immediately. So I didn't do that. Now, you know, I've never had the battle addiction with that. I never had the battle addiction to alcohol, right? I never had the battle addiction to tobacco. Um, my parents were, and I, I want to move off this, but I'm just... My parents were, since I was a little child, they taught me, you don't go out with, you don't, you're not going to date a girl who, who isn't a devout Christian. Don't even think about it. You know, I, well, I did disobey that. I thought about that some. I was in school one day, and I was standing there, and a, a girl walked up to me and I smelled her pretty smell before I saw her. I'm like, there's a girl standing right next to me, a pretty girl. And uh, she was standing kind of close, you know, and I, I was, she said, are you coming to the concert tonight? And I go, yeah. She says, I don't have a ride. I'm like, oh, I'll give you a ride. And the minute I said it, my heart just tightened up because I didn't know that she knew the Lord. And my parents had taught me, you don't, you know, go out with a girl that doesn't know the Lord. This is serious. And I knew my parents wouldn't want me to do that, but I, so I didn't tell them. And that night I went over. So I guess as I preach, I'm thinking of more times I did disobey. So let me just back. (laughs) (laughs) so anyway, sorry. So anyway, so I go over that night. I leave a little early. And my mom and dad, remember, they're going, aren't you leaving a little early? I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I felt guilty because I didn't tell them where I was going. I drove over to that girl's house. I picked her up. And then I I drove her to the concert. And and then after the concert, I, I drove her home. I didn't touch her. We're just driving home, and I feel just tremendous guilt. I mean, so then all of a sudden, I just start witnessing to this girl. Like, I'm just telling her, I just shocked her, you know. like And then I end with, you know, I'm a Christian, and you're not, and I can't. That <laughs> was really cool, you know. I can't spend time with you. And she was like, well, I didn't ask you to marry me, I just needed a ride to the concert stumbled out of my car and went to the house and I was like trembling like oh I knew that I was disobeying my parents and I had a conscience about that young people can I just say this in love to you if I could tell you anything that will help you in life to have a good life and to have a long life there are two things to do obey your mom and dad and honor them there will be times perhaps you're mom or dad are ungodly and they ask you to do something wrong, then you obey the Lord with a spirit of submission to your mom and dad. But if you live that way, obey your mom and dad and show them honor. You obey your mom and dad, of course, up until the time when you establish your own household and they agree and they kind of give you away or launch you into your own household, you obey them. And if they're wise, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But they want your good. Many of you remember us telling about a time when uh, our daughter, uh, Heidi, was um, just a little girl, maybe four. And all the kids were playing on the other side of the barn. And I walked out of the house that day, and I just felt compelled to call for Heidi to come and see me. And I, I said, Heidi. I didn't call for any the other kids. It just popped in my mind to call for Heidi. She didn't come. I, I called louder. Heidi, come here. When she finally came around the corner of the barn. She had blood on her face. Uh, the kids had been playing and, and one of them kicked the door of the corn crib open, and it hit her right between the eyes, and blood was covering her face. And I took her to her mom, and her mom uh, bandaged her, cleaned her up, and bandaged her. And we realized we probably need to go to the doctor for stitches, and then, so I, I took her to the doctor. The doctor opened his office for us on a Saturday. We, it was about a 25-minute drive down there. We got there, and we put her on the little thing. She was like sobbing, you know, a little bit because she had been crying and. And uh, all the way to the doctor, all I could think of is she's going to have a big scar between her eyes. And I hated that idea. And I had a big lump in my throat, and my heart beat fast. All the way, I kept thinking, she's going to have a big scar. I hate that. The doctor looked at her, and he goes, who did this? And I thought he meant who, who hurt her. And I go, I, I, think, I don't know. I think it was a neighbor kid. Yeah. He's like, no, I mean, who, who treated her? I go, Mom. He goes, she did a great job. It's clean. It's butterfly bandage. He goes, you know what? We're going to leave this just like that. Like, really? She's not going to need stitches? No, I think we're going to leave it just like that. I go, is she going to have a big scar there? And he goes, oh, look at her. She's beautiful. And nobody's going to ever notice that. And that made my heart light. And then he said. And then he sa- I said, well, Doc, what, what do I owe you? About that time, that time, doctors was about 60 bucks. I didn't have anything. I was literally going to write my check, go to my parents, take the money, put it in the bank. And he said, well, tell you what. He said, just see what this girl gets ice cream on the way home. And I thought, well, $60 worth of ice cream, that's going to be a party. (laughs) So on the way home, I got her the ice cream, and and we were driving home, and she would have her little two fingers in her mouth. And we're driving along, and all of a sudden, I said to her, hey, Heidi. I said, did you hear me calling your name? She took her fingers out of her mouth and goes, Yes. I go, did you hear me like before you got hurt or or after? She said, before. I said, oh, if you'd have come the first time you were called, you wouldn't have gotten hurt. We're doing a father-daughter retreat together, me and the girls. And Heidi and I were in in my Jeep, and we're driving back. And I tell that story every once in a while. And she says, hey, Dad, there's something I never told you about that story. I go, what's that? said you know i heard you call my name but i really wanted to go over there anyway and then holly was there and she said didn't you hear dad call your name and i ignored her too and then i got hurt young people here's what i'm saying you have a heavenly father who loves you desperately and he wants good he wants to deal good into your life constantly and the way he's done that is to put you under delegated authority you'll be under delegated authority all of your life listen to your mom and dad Listen to them with great reverence and respect. Obey them while you're under their authority and honor them all your life. This is the Word of God. Nobody's ever going to give you better advice than that. It's the Word of God about family relationships, it's the directions, okay? Now let's talk to the parents. Kids are going, finally, thank you. All right. It may be well with you and you'll live long in the land. <laughs> Then look at verse four. Fathers don't provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so the direction here to dads, in particular, is not to provoke them, not to irritate them. I happened to be with three of my grandsons last night. I just says, "What do your parents do to irritate you?" That was a great question. Okay, what are you? And you, I can't tell you some of the stuff they said. Ask me later. Some of this stuff was so funny. One of them said, when my dad chews in my ear really loud, that's irritating. My grandsons, they said some other things, ask me later, okay? Um, But but then my son who's sitting next to me, who's like 35, he says, when they don't let you wear the kinds of clothes you want to wear. I'm like, did your mom do that? When you don't let them comb their hair the way... I remembered uh, Shirley Dobson, you know, Dr. James Dobson focused on the family, his wife Shirley. They have a son named Ryan who's a, who's a grown up Christian leader today. And they're devout people who love the Bible. And this whole thing about forcing your kids to wear stuff they don't want to wear, not letting them wear I'm not talking about immoral things, I'm just talking about fashions, you know. Here's what she did. I didn't do it this way, but we should have, but with the older kids. She went to the store to buy stuff for Ryan. And what she did was she stood there in the young men's clothing until a beautiful young woman walked in among the clothes. And she said, excuse me, could I ask your opinion about something? And the young girl about Ryan's age said yes. And she said, what, what do you think among the men's clothes do you think looks really good? And she said, well, she liked this and this and this. And Shirley bought those clothes, even though they weren't the kinds of clothes that she would have bought and she took him home to Ryan, to where? What, what, what am I telling you? When, when, when you have this phrase, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, the idea is that moms and dads should live with our children with a real understanding heart, not, you know, not frustrate them, not anger them, not irritate them, but to n- nurture their spirit. And then it says discipline and instruction. It's almost like you, you, because you have this strong relationship with them, and that you don't provoke them, but you keep a good relationship with them, then you can warn them about the things they shouldn't do, and then you can instruct them about the things they should do, right? And if you don't provoke them, and you, 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 you keep a, a, your heart clear with them, and their heart clear toward you, and if you warn them about things they shouldn't do, and if you gently, patiently, consistently instruct them and model the things that they should do, then but then God perhaps will give them each a spirit of repentance and they'll live for the Lord. By the grace of God, today we have like four sons, four daughters. Every one of them knows the Lord. Every one of them loves the Lord. Every one of them loves mom and dad. Every one of them is in right relationship with each other. This was the focus of our life when they were growing up. Serve the Lord is all there is to it and us keeping our hearts right with them and not provoking them to anger or 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 having unresolved offenses with them. And we worked hard at that to make sure there were not unresolved offenses. And to do that, you have to read their heart. It was Father's Day a few years ago, and the family sometimes, they were out of town, I was alone. Uh, They were going to do Father's Day celebration the next day with me or the day after, whatever, but on Father's Day, it was just me. So I went home and stuck my thumb for a while there, um, I was sitting in my recliner, and there was, there, I think I mentioned this before, but there was this journal one of the girls had left behind, and I feel like if you leave your journal behind, I can read it, and Lois thought that wasn't right, but I thought it was okay, but here's what happened, when I read that girl's journal, I found out things about her I didn't know before, listen to what I'm telling you here, this is money, I found out things about her that were going on in her little heart that I didn't know, they weren't scandalous things, they were just a little girl's heart, and I thought, if I had it to do over again, i tried try to do this anyway, but if I had it to do over again, I would try to read that journal in my heart. I would never, you know, of course, invade her privacy you know, until the statute of limitations had passed. But, but I, would, I would try to get so close to her and ask her so many questions and show such love and concern for her that she would trust me with those things that she would write in that journal that I would know how she felt. Even simple things. And uh, if you're a dad, if you're a mom, and you have a little moment of time where you have a little person in your house, then you cherish them, and you set other things aside, and you tenderly guard that relationship with each of them, and if you don't let anything come in there that you don't take care of, so that you can warn them about the things that are bad, and so that you can teach them about the things that are good, and all of the rest of your life, they will be a great, powerful joy to you, Because of that, this is what God's teaching us through the Spirit that Paul wrote. Fathers, don't provoke your children, you know, to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. My my girl, Holly, wanted to drive years ago. She's a worrier. Chuck, when he learned to drive, it was just like, I don't know how the guys knew how to drive. I'm going to take you out and teach you how to drive. They jump in the car and drive away. I'm like, How'd that happen? Standard transmission. What in the world? They just, I remember one Saturday night, we were at the church. And I'm, I go through the big thing with Kyle. We're going to drive home through the countryside from the church. I'm going to let you drive. Don't be nervous, you know. Went through this big routine with him, you know. He's like, listen, okay, okay. All right, Dad, yeah, okay. What does this thing do, you know? And then he gets in the car and just drives, just drives away. Not Holly. Oh, with Holly, it was like everything. She was nervous and worried about it, and and how do I do this, and and what about the test? I'm probably going to fail the test. Oh no, and, you know. And, and uh, one one night, I was in the house, and it was it was listening to music. It was a quiet night in spring of the year, as I recall. And Lois was out of Dr Pepper. She says, "Would you go get me some Dr Pepper?" And I was like, "Oh." Wanna go anywhere right now, but I didn't say that. Um, all of a sudden hey, wait a minute, Holly wants to drive. I'm like, hey Holly, why don't you go Kyle, you ride shotgun and Holly, why don't you go get the Dr. Pepper for your mom? Drive your car? Yeah. That night at supper, um, the kids were sitting around the table, and I remember that Holly goes, You love your car, don't you, Dad? And I go, Well, you know, it's a thing, it's a thing, so you know, I don't have my affections set on it, but yeah, it's my favorite car ever. Prophetic words, right? And then, so she goes out, gets in the car, drives away, and I'm listening to Bach, as I recall. And, uh, and so, about 15 minutes later, I hear a noise on the street that sounds a lot like one car running into another car. Matt found it sounded, sounded precisely like one car running into another car. And then Chuck came thundering down the steps, going, Holly wrecked your car! Holly wrecked your car! Almost like he was enjoying it. Holly wrecked your car! So, <laughs> it's like, not my favorite car, are you kidding me? It was like irritation rising up in me. Are you kidding me? And then I walked over to the door, and right at the threshold of the door, I got a word from the Lord. You ever have that happen to you? It's like, I got a powerful little thing that went in my head, and it was kind of like this. Whatever you say next will be remembered for many years. And so I took a deep breath, and I put a fake smile on, and I looked out there, and Holly had confused the gas and the brake and had run my car into our family van. So she didn't just wreck one car, she wrecked both cars. And it just looked terrible. It looked like there, it, there wasn't, but it looked like there was smoke coming up. And then the thing that irritated me the most is that Kyle had gotten out of the car, and he was standing on the other side. Holly was slumped over the wheel, just weeping, shaking. Kyle was standing on the other side, and he was sort of laughing. And I wanted to console her and murder him. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry, Dad. I ruined your car. I know you love this car. I'm so sorry, Dad. Please forgive me, Dad. And then I heard myself say, Hey, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Don't worry about it. I love you. It had a wrinkle in the hood the rest of the time we had it. And a few years later, I called Holly on the phone. I said, I want you to come and I want you to see something. So she came and met me in the driveway and I called a wrecker and they put the rest of that truck that I drove a couple hundred thousand miles on the back of a flatbed and drove away with it. And the tires were worth more than the car at that time. And my little girl was sitting there under my arm and our hearts were together. The day after that happened, a lady from the church came over Jane witty she stopped by and was standing in the front yard and she looked over at my car and she said "Huh, Pastor wrecked his car." And Holly goes, "No, he didn't wreck it. I wrecked it." And she looked at her and she said, "What did your dad do when you wrecked his car?" And Holly said, "Well, he just said, you know, it's okay because people are more important than things." And then Jane started crying sobbing. Jane said, when I was a girl, I took my dad's car. I was out with my friends smoking. I got distracted, and I wrecked his car, and when I got home, he drugged me out, and he knocked me to the ground, and he kicked me. Now, no, you wouldn't do that, but we got to remember our sons and daughters' hearts are very, very tender. People's hearts are very tender, and when we go through this life, many will hurt, but not us, right? We we cherish people. We watch over their spirits. We are careful with those relationships. We restore those relationships to the best of our ability. That's why it says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up like, like you're raising a, a, a garden. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Gem, you, know, you earn the right in a way. You, you earn the capital if, if you, to, to warn them about things and And then you instruct them, and of course, obviously, in that instruction, you know you're an example of that. I was in a bookstore, and I was looking at books years ago in the family section of the bookstore and I came across this I came across this little book. Um, I think if I recall the still so have it, it the the title of the book is. Things to do with your daughters. Things to do with your daughters. I, I decided to buy it because I could always think of things to do with the boys. Just mayhem. Just any kind of mayhem is cool. They're just like, yeah, let's do it, you know. Let's, let's break something. Let's shoot something. Let's just do some mayhem so you know what to do with boys, you know. And, and in between mayhem, you, you clean the garage. And, um, but with girls, what do you do? You know, that's harder if you're a guy. You're like, I don't know, you know. Um, they got tired of me saying, make me pie, make me bread, you know. There were other things. So I got this little book, What to Do With Your Daughter. Yeah, you, know you do when you get a book like that? You fan through it. It looks like it has some neat stuff in it. And you flip it over on the back. You see who wrote it? I think his, his name was Dan Bolin. Flipped it over on the back. There was a picture of a dad with a little girl. And the circumstances of the writing of the book were Dan wrote this book when he realized his daughter had leukemia and his time with her was going to be limited. And so he diligently came up with things to do with this girl in the short time that they had. I remember one of the things Hannah and I did at one time. We 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 roasted miniature marshmallows over a candle. It's Kind of fun. It, it's more fun to... Take the big ones and pelt people with them, but we roasted miniature marshmallows over a candle. We went out driving together when they wanted to learn to drive. We just tried to do things. But uh, over the years, I've every once in a while run across that book. And I realized we're all dying. Our daughters are dying, and we are dying, and our sons are dying. Unless the Lord comes back in the rapture, the clock is ticking for all of us, right? In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about that discipline of your children. It talks about that, how to train them and discipline them. It says that we had earthly fathers who for a few days, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, who for a few days disciplined us. Well, it wasn't a few days. It might have been 18 or 20 years, but if you've been through that, you know it feels like a few days. You don't have much time. So I would just say to you, how long are you are going to have your daddy? How long are you going to have your mom? Obey them and honor them while you have them. Once you go away to college, your relationship won't be the same. It'll be wonderful, but you won't have the little moments together in the same house. It won't be the same. And you might be frustrated. You might be a young dad or a young mom with a lot of responsibilities and a lot of pressures and a lot of bills to pay, and you're trying to make it in your company so that you can take care of your family, and time is short, and it's frustrating to go to all those soccer practices and basketball games, but listen, listen to the old people like me. You cherish those times right now. You won't have them very long, and while you have them, my goodness, do it right. Do it according to the directions. Do what God says. Live by God's book you will never regret living by God's book. He knows you. He made you. He loves you. That's just the way it is. So while we're telling stories, (laughs) years ago, I noticed my oldest daughter, Holly, was very, very unsure of herself. She wouldn't look people in the eye. She didn't feel confident. She didn't feel pretty. She had problems with her complexion. She felt like her hair was kind of thin and stringy. She felt like she didn't have friends. I knew that about her. I was sitting at my desk one day, and then the local newspaper came. And I opened up the local newspaper, and I read a a little kind of article in our little town, Fremont, where they make Gerber baby food. And it said that in June or July, they were going to have the Gerber Baby Food Festival. And then they described the Gerber Baby Food Festival Queen competition, which I would normally think I wouldn't want one of my daughters to be involved in because of the vanity and all of that. But when I read what they wrote there, I noticed what they said was they wanted a young lady that had character and so forth and that would be a servant. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if Holly got involved in that? It might be a good experience for her. And And God was in that. I didn't know God was in it. So I took the newspaper, I went home that night, and and I said, hey, Holly, come and talk to me. Here she came. I go, I read something here, I think it's something you ought to consider doing. And I read it, she goes, no way, Dad, are you kidding me? That's like a beauty queen, I couldn't be a beauty queen. I go, well, look at it, it's about character, it's about service, it's about kindness. They're looking for somebody that has, and you're a beautiful girl. I want you to do this. No way, Dad. No way in the world I can't. I said, no, I, said, I, I think you ought to. I said, Holly, she goes, what, what point would that? Be? There's so many girls that are prettier than I am. and you know that I wouldn't ever win something like that. It'd just be embarrassing for me. I go, no, I don't think so. I, and then I said, you know, I think there might be people involved that you could be a testimony to while you were doing it. Well, she went off to that interview, and there was a woman named Lorraine Hampshire, And she was the key person who interviewed her. And Lorraine, when she was interviewing her, she says, Holly, why are you doing this? And Holly's answer was, the only reason I'm doing it is because my dad told me to do it. And then Lorraine put her pencil down, and she put her paper down, and she looked at her for the longest time. Then she picked her pencil and paper back up and asked her a few more questions and ended the formal interview. And then she said, Holly, before you go, can I ask you a personal question? And Holly goes, okay. She said, you said you do what your dad tells you to do. How does your dad get you to do what he wants you to do? And then Holly told about the Lord. And Lorraine, who loved her daughter and wanted to guide her daughter, wanted to hear this about how do you get your kids to do what you think is good and right. Here's the cool thing, you know. Holly that week just came out of herself, just came out of her shell. It was so beautiful. It just blossomed that week. It was the most beautiful thing I ever saw. She was just joyful and she was happy and she started to be outgoing and she started to go bless people and she she got involved in things she wouldn't normally. It's like God used that for her to just just to kind of go to the next level. I mean, you know her as an outgoing person and you know her as a you know social person. You probably don't see her. A girl in in Holly there, now that she's married, of course, lives on the West Coast. Not a a girl that's, uh, like, afraid of her shadow or afraid to talk or sing or whatever, but she's outgoing. It started that week. It came to the end of the week, and, and they actually crowned Holly the queen of the Gerber Baby Food Festival, which was cool. And Lorraine called me the night before. And I was at my desk. And she said, I have a request. And I said, what's that? She says, tomorrow in the parade, everybody in the county will be there. We're going to crown the queen. And then she's going to be on a float on this little throne, on a float, pulled by a truck. And I wonder if you would be willing to drive that truck. And she hinted that Holly would be on that little throne there. I will, as long as I live, never forget the scene of the Rue Vermeer and that happy little girl sitting on that little throne waving at everybody and everybody going, hey, Holly, hey, Holly, hey, Holly, I love you, Holly. I almost couldn't drive for the tears that wanted to come into my eyes. It was just such a happy time in our little town. Holly was on there and her little court, the other girls were on there. And we're just driving along and just having, it's just like a, a, you want time to slow down, you know, you want to just really enjoy that time. But it was over quick. And we were at the end of the parade route. As I recall, the marching band was in front of us. And when we got to the end of the parade route, the marching band just disappeared. And there I was now at the beginning of the parade route. I'm not an organizer. I'm a live-in-the-moment kind of a guy I'm the guy that you know that flies into a city and then tries to figure out how I'm gonna get to the coast after I get there you know I'm the kind of guy that drives the float in the parade and has no idea where to go when you get to the end I had no idea where to go I've got a truck now big truck with girls on the back and I'm on a I'm I'm facing this busy highway And I don't remember them telling me what I was supposed to do then. Here we are at the end of the parade and I am clueless about what to do. And so finally I get out and I go, hey, I think you guys, I'm going to have to pull this thing out onto the highway but I don't want you on it when (laughs) when I do that. So let me help you down off. So here are these girls in their long gowns and I'm trying to help them off of this float-hay wagon, you know. And they get off and then I pull the Thing out out of the highway, which was interesting. And then that night when I was laying in my bed, I was just thinking about that whole wonderful experience and that whole day. And I was thinking about that whole thing, about coming to the end of the parade and not having any idea where to go. One of, this day, one of these days, this whole parade is going to end. And we don't know when. And it would be a really good idea for us to know exactly where everybody we love is going to be When the parade ends, every one of our precious sons and every one of our daughters, all the people that we love, this is the key thing in all the world, is does our heart belong to God, and do we know where we're going when the parade ends?